faith, these literal children, they are important to me. So they should be important to you. Matthew 18, verse 8 is where we are. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to enter having crippled or lame than to be thrown into the unquenchable fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better to enter heaven half blind than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Beware that you don't despise a single one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Okay, verse 7, what we just left last week was temptation is inevitable, but oh, 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 do not be the one causing temptation to my little ones. And then he says, so... If this now this can ha- this can be seen in a couple of ways. One, it can be seen individually. Take it upon yourself. You have a faith. You have a relationship with God. You have a path that God desires you to walk on. You have gifts and talents and abilities that he has given you. Unlike anyone else on the face of the earth, he created you to be you for his glory. And if you're not doing that, the lights will go out on you. If you're not doing that, if you are falling away from God's will, if you are turning your back on God's will, if you are doing something consistently over and over again, knowing that it is against the will of God, stop it. Don't do that. Because you will be thrown into an unquenchable fire. Sound good? Some of you are like, hasn't that been this summer? (laughs) What Jesus is talking about here, the picture he alludes to, and some of the manuscripts actually will say, Gehenna, this, this place of hell, was a place that they literally would have thought of when someone mentioned hell. It was a place right outside the gate, the walls of Jerusalem. A long time before Jesus, there was this revolution going on. These renegade Jews started um, sacrificing their children to the god Moloch. And one of the ways that you appease this god Moloch was to take your children out and to sacrifice them. And to leave this pile of sacrificed children. So King Josiah comes along and he declares this area an abomination, an accursed area. It becomes... A trash heap for Jerusalem. This vast incinerator where there was a fire constantly burning. It was always smoking and people would throw more things on. We talked about last week how the, how, uh, the children were seen as useless for the most part, especially daughters. And so a lot of times they would be taken to this place and left to die. This place was horrendous. The smell would have been overwhelmingly bad. The sights, the things that you saw there were things that you did not want mental images of. It was a horrendous place. And Jesus is saying, look, you got two options. You can be with me. You can be with my father. Or you can be there. That's it. Two options. Forever. That word unquenchable in Greek is Ionios. And what it means, it's used multiple times in the Old Testament. Always 
pertaining to punishment. Unquenchable fire, unending torture, never ending, without end, belonging to the ages. It was something that only God could do forever, eternity. Does that word ever freak anybody out, eternity? Like, no, really? I'm the one person back there. Thank you. Two, three. Okay, a few of you. Eternity kind of freaks me out from time to time. You know? Think about it. Let's just sit here for a second. For some of you, that felt like eternity. (laughs) This is silence. Uh, It's kind of hard for me, too. I'm ADD. Uh, Eternity kind of scares me from time to time. I think about this because we live in a finite world. There's a beginning to our life, and there will be an end to our physical life. If we have Jesus, if we have accepted the gift of life that comes with acknowledging the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have life forevermore. What am I going to do? You know, I mean, seriously, sometimes that thought goes through my mind. I'm like, wow, forever is a long time. I have no idea what heaven's going to be like. Am I going to get to fish all the time? Is it going to get boring? This thought scares me that fishing could be boring. Some of you are like, it already is. (laughs) This eternity, this never ending time. Jesus says, look, if you're contrary to the will of God, if you're outside, if you've turned your back on me, there will be a period of never-ending torture, fire, banishment, Gehenna. This pile of filth and stench and just utter chaos is where you will be. So... If you're doing something that's causing you to go that direction, stop it. A drastic picture. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. If you are in a relationship with other people who like to go out and party a little bit, they like to drink, you're an alcoholic. You can't be around those people. It's going to cause you to fall into a life of sin again. Stop hanging out with those people. They're done. Cut it off. If you are engaging in a habit that is causing you to turn your back on God consistently, stop it. Whatever it is, if it is painful to walk away from, too bad. A little pain now or a lot later. He is saying, essentially, we all have these moments where we fail. We all have these moments where we fall. We need to realize those things and try to allow him to give us the strength to move on. And sometimes that causes us to make difficult decisions in our lives. Personally, if there's something going on, you need to stop it so that you can move into the life that God longs for you to have. So you have this personal side, and then you have this corporate side, this communal side. 
If there is someone in the body of Christ that is causing others to fall away, if there is someone in the body of Christ who by their behavior, by their life, by what they're teaching, whatever it is, is causing others to not believe in Jesus Christ, to turn their back on God, get rid of them. That is what I see here. Get rid of them. Cast them out. They are a cancer. If there is someone in the church who is a leader in the church, who is cheating on his spouse, by the way, this isn't anyone, this is just a for instance, stop thinking. If there's a leader in the church who's cheating on their spouse, everyone knows that he's cheating on his wife, but he continues to lead, to teach, to shepherd people. Stop it. Get rid of that person. He refuses to acknowledge the fact that he is... Destroying his family, destroying his faith and other people's faith as well. If there is a situation like that in the church, it is upon us to remove it. Now, Jesus goes a little bit later in chapter 18 about how to do this sort of thing. But you've got to get it out. If it is taking us all down, then remove that one piece. Cut the hand off. Gouge the eye out. It will be painful, yes. But sometimes that's what we have to do. To move forward in the kingdom. So that God will show us his glory. So you have this. And then you have. Verse 12. If a shepherd has 100 sheep and one wanders away and is lost, what will he do? When he leave the 99 others and go out into the hills and search for the lost one. And if he finds it, he will surely rejoice over it more than the other 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Here's the thing that I think the church gets wrong a lot of times. When we cast somebody out, we're like, gone. Do not come back. You have sinned. So have I. So have all of you. What I take from this right here is, okay, look, you're a church leader. You are messing up big time. You cannot lead anymore. You need to step down. You need to kind of back away from the light. The limelight, not the light. But we're not going to get rid of you. We're not going to take you out to Gehenna. We're not going to kick you out to a place of eternal damnation. Instead, we're going to love you and we're going to come after you. And we are going to rejoice when you come back. See, that's what God did for us. Every one of us has been that sheep that has wandered away from the flock. And we have had these moments when we have turned our back on God in one form or another. And then there's a whole group of people that are doing everything right, got it all going together. We're worshiping, we're praying, we're we're reading the scripture, it's all good. And then here goes Crocker. I'm just going to slip off over here a little bit. Don't know what's happening. And God goes, hey, stay right here. I'll be right back because I need him. And I want him to come back. And so he runs off and he grabs hold of me and he says, stop it. Come back. I love you. I died for you. I gave my life so that you could have yours. Come back. See, when Jesus went back into heaven, he said, okay, it's your turn to do that. It's your turn to be the shepherd. When a sheep wanders off, 
When, when someone wanders off, when I wander off, it is up to the body of Christ to go, hey, we love you. Stop it. Stop doing that. Stop, stop the things that you're doing to pull you away from God and come back to us because we love you and we need you because you are so important. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I am a sheep. When one of us wanders off, it is up to the rest of us to go after that person and say, hey, we love you. God loves you. You're really messing it up right now. We all got that. And so you have to work some stuff out. We're going to have to set up some things and get some accountability going on, whatever it is. But we love you and we need you back because God didn't create anyone else like you. And you're important. You're important to us. You're important to the kingdom. We need you. We love you. Come back. How often, though, do we kick that person to the curb and forget them? How often do we say, oh, well, you're gone, and that person ends up just flaming out somewhere? Because we were so judgmental that we didn't realize we're that lost sheep, too. We do that so often. My question is, is this. Are you in a place where if you wander off, someone's coming to get you? Are you in relationships where if you start leaving the path that God has laid before you and you get off in right field somewhere, that somebody's going to come and put their arms around you and say, hey, you need to stop it. You need to stop. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing is wrong. You need to come back to your father and lovingly pull you back in. Are you in that kind of a relationship? Do you have that built around you or are you just an island? Because let me tell you, if you wander off and you're an island and nobody knows you wandered off, God tells us it is important for us to follow his path, his will. And we're going to fall off of it all the time. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. We're going to get it wrong. That's what grace is about. That's what forgiveness is about. God's like, all right, come on, stand back up. Let me dust you off. Keep going. I mean, if the church were only full of people who never sinned, We have really quiet services. But praise be to God that forgiveness exists. Thanks be to God that even though I have failed multiple times in magnificently horrible ways, that God goes, all right, let's try this again. Thank goodness that each time I wander away from the flock, I have somebody that comes after me. Hey, stop it. Let's cut the hand off and get back in. Recently, I have noticed I've wandered a little bit. I would consider myself a patient person. In fact, overly so. Forever. I was a teacher um, for a while. And teachers have to have patience because students are just not bright. Um, (laughs) Am I wrong, teachers? Uh, so, so we have, I'm very patient, always been patient, up until the last, like, month. And it's gone. I'm not a short-tempered person. My father is, my sister is. 
very. Don't cross them. But me, eh, whatever. I'm patient. You slap me, I'll go, that hurt. That's all right, though. But not recently. Recently, I've been kind of angry. Um, And I've been really short-fused with my wife and my son and my daughter. And I take out on them the frustrations and questions and issues I'm having with my relationship with God and the fact that I've kind of wandered away a little bit from the flock. It starts appearing in ways that are not holy. It starts appearing in ways that are unhealthy to my family and myself and my faith. Forget you people. I'm talking about family. Your family too. But you don't see it. Because on Sunday morning... Pastor Crocker. On Sunday night, I'm daddy and I'm tired and I'm worn out and I'm sick of all of this stuff. And so instead of depending on God and crying out for his mercy and saying, Show me your glory, fill me with your spirit, pour out your spirit in me, I snap. And I yell at my son. I'm mean to my wife, my daughter. And finally, my wife brought me back. I said, Why are you so angry all the time? Well, I don't know. I don't like it. I'm not an angry person. I don't think people that are angry people like to be angry either. It's not a fun place to be. You don't want to hang around the angry guy. You want to hang around the funny guy. Why are you so angry all the time? I don't know. Have you, like, talked to God about this? No. You think maybe you should talk to God about this? (laughs) Uh, It seems like a good idea. But I'm stubborn and prideful and I'm the pastor. You can't tell me what to do. I have a master's of divinity. Those of you that have it can laugh really loud. Dinah, come on. Which gets me nothing except pledges to my university. It's one of those times when I've started walking away from the flock and I know I'm walking away from the flock. But I'm not strong enough to bring myself back. And so I need a spiritual giant. Like my wife. To cut my hand off. To gouge out my eye and say, stop it. This isn't who you are. This isn't who God is creating you to be. Come back. Come back. Look, I'm not back yet. I'm getting closer. I can see you. But she's still with me. If you're not in... A relationship like that, find it. 
And look, it doesn't have to be your spouse. I have this relationship with Daryl as well. And we're not married. <laughs> Though we spend an awful lot of time together. We've slept in the same bed. But that's a whole other story and another sermon. <laughs> yeah, can't get it all out in one Sunday. But we have that relationship that if he sees me wandering off, he has my permission to slap me and say, stop it. Come back. If you don't have those friends in your life, you need to cultivate them. Pray that God would put them in your life. Pray that you would open yourself up to the accountability that comes with that. Pray that God would put in your heart a desire to have that sort of relationship with people. That when you wander off, and guess what? You're going to. That people will, one, notice. Two, care. And three, come after you. Because that's what the body of Christ is made for. That's why we're here. To experience the glory of God together. And when one of us is missing, just one of us, we're all missing. That's why when the one comes back, they go nuts. We are the body of Christ. We need to begin to live, pray, worship, commune, all of it together. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a forgiving God. God who loves us even when we don't deserve it. You are a God who continually seeks out our face, even if we're not looking for yours. You are a God who will not leave us to the valley of death, but you will lead us to righteousness for your glory. God, give us the strength to run after you. Give us the courage to seek out a community that loves us and cares for us. Help us, Father, to be the body of Christ that you call us to be. In Jesus' name.